Now it's time for the slot I've been looking forward to, because in Your Money Today, Carolyn Wright takes a look into something you might not even realise you could be doing when making investments, and that's letting behavioural bias lead the way. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. Have you ever let your emotions get the better of you when making an investment decision? If so, you probably aren't alone. Today, we're going to take a look at behavioural finance biases and how you can ensure they don't get in the way of making rational decisions. I'm joined again by Stephanie Lung, who is CIO at StashAway, a wealth management platform. Thank you for joining me, Stephanie. Hi, thank you for having me. Let's kick off with a look at what these behavioural biases are and why they happened. Why do investors sometimes make these irrational decisions that can hurt their financial well-being? It's actually a very, very interesting phenomenon because a lot of these behavioural biases or emotional decisions are actually uh, originally designed to help us to survive as a human being, as a species. But given that uh, the world has evolved, what we're facing today is very, very different from what our ancestors were facing many thousand years ago. And in particular, uh, in investment, I mean, there are a lot of so-called behavioral biases that prevent us from being a successful investor or trader. And if you think about making investment decisions, I mean, these are some of the hardest decisions that we have to make in our lives because we're often dealing with insufficient information and always, it's quite emotional. I, I'm sure we've all gone through like, ups and downs in making money and losing money. And these are very emotional moments. So it is indeed uh, one of the most unnatural things for us as human beings to do. There are many uh, well-documented biases, but a few of the common ones uh, that I think a lot of people have experienced or are quite familiar with uh, would include, for example, loss aversion meaning that you are given the, the risk of losing money, uh, you're always kind of more averse to that than like what rational calculation would suggest. Uh, the second uh, very uh, common one is called FOMO. I think a lot of people might have heard of it. Oh, yeah. uh, in, in, in full, FOMO means like fear of missing out. It's basically you seeing, for example, everybody around you into a particular hot stock and making money, and, uh, and eventually you cave in, right? You're thinking, oh, am I missing out something? Another one would be, for example, overconfidence. And this is basically the phenomena where you think uh, you understand a lot about a company, maybe because you're very close to the industry, but you overlook some other aspect that you're not too familiar with. For example, you may not analyze the financial statements of a company before jumping in. So uh, I think a lot of investors are influenced by the herd mentality as well. It's basically following the crowd. It's very, very hard to go against the crowd when everybody, for example, is going one direction. However, you have to remember that market behavior is actually made of, of human inputs. And for example, when everybody has bought into something, there's no more bias left, right? And I mean, the stock or the market will start to reverse. But that's exactly when like, the consensus is to just go all in and, and long. So sometimes you have to be kind of anti-consensus, anti-the-crowd in order to, to make money, which is very, very, very hard. I think a lot of times when we're fighting with these emotional or irrational behaviors, it actually tends to deviate from the longer term investment plans because of these short term market fluctuations. So it's actually quite hard to deal with these shorter term ups and downs. So let's talk about keeping those emotions in check. How would you suggest that investors go about doing that? 
I think the first thing is, remember, if all the time you're bombarded by news flows, by short-term market fluctuations, I mean, sometimes market reactions are quite random, right? In the short term, it's very hard. It, the shorter your time frame, the harder it is to become certain of a investment return on a certain asset class. So, for example, if you look at stocks and bonds, I mean, these give you long-term returns on a fairly consistent basis, right? If you kind of zoom out, if you think about the equity rolling 10-year return, it has always been positive. However, within the 10 years, the shorter your time horizon goes, the more likely that you're going to see ups and downs, and particularly the more likely you're going to see drawdowns. And dealing with these drawdowns are emotionally very hard. So one thing to try is to avoid having to deal with these emotional hardships, right? If you're a long-term investor, you don't have to look at your portfolio every day. Of course, it's also not responsible if you don't look at it at all, but maybe on a frequency of looking at your portfolios every month instead of every day, or even like sometimes I, I see people looking at the portfolios every hour. I mean, these things definitely would not help. And I think second point I would make is that you can also try to minimize the portion of a human-driven decision. So we set out some rules and these rules are put into a program and the program actually runs itself based on real-time data in that case, then we can make very, very rational decisions and not run the risk of human emotions getting in place. The third tip is to kind of take a pause, right? Whenever you make a very important decision, put some time between the initial inception of that decision before you have to actually make that decision, because that kind of cool-off period may help to cool down some of the immediate reactions that you have. I think those are different tips that we can use as investors to help to prevent our emotions from overriding our more rational decision making in investment. Very wise words. Now, let's talk about anyone who thinks they may just have left it too late. What advice do you have for them? Is it ever too late? I don't think it's ever too late to start investing. Of course, the earlier you start, the earlier you can reap the benefit of compounding returns. And I think one of the rule of thumb that uh, we, we like to use in finance is called the rule of 72, right? So basically it says if you take a annual return and divide 72 by that return, you get the number of years that it takes to double that investment. So for example, let's say I mean, if your annual return is 6%, it takes 12 years to double your investment. However, if you think about 12 years, you get a double, 24 years, you get actually double that double. So it's uh, four times. And in 36 years, uh, you actually get eight times. So the earlier you start, of course, uh, the better you can reap the benefit of that compounding return. However, if you're uh, kind of, uh, if you're starting in your 20s, if you're starting in your 40s, it's still not too late, right? I think, uh, remember, investing is not all about uh, putting your money in just one uh, asset class, not just in stocks or not even just in a few companies. It's about building a well-diversified portfolio that can give you better return compared to bank deposits. These days, I mean, interest rates are higher, but still, if you put your money, if you leave most of your money in bank deposits, it's still just generating maybe around 3% interest rates for, for your spare cash. Whereas if you put your spare cash to, to use, on average, for a kind of 
60-40 portfolio where I mean, 60% of that is in stocks, 40% is in bonds, you can still generate like 6% annualized return on average. So a 3% difference on an annual basis, it may not seem to be that much or, uh, per year, but if you compound that over 10 years, 20 years, even 30 years, I mean, it makes a huge difference. So I think there's always kind of opportunities in the market. As investors, we should have some money, some spare cash in the bank for emergency purpose. But the majority of our wealth actually should be invested, make money work for you. And I think there's a saying called uh, time is money. And a lot of us interpret that as, oh, I go to work, I put in like 40 hours a week, I make a salary. But also time is money in the sense that, I mean, you can make money work for you given time. Now, let's talk a little bit about gender differences. Do women and men invest differently? And how how do emotions come into play where that's concerned? A very, very interesting question and topic. And we've actually done quite a lot of study with Stashaway, our own client base, and also as we kind of interact with different types of investors. I will make a few points. I think if we look at our platform, when we first started, actually most of our investors, I would say maybe 60-70% are uh, male, but over time we've found that the um, we, we have more female adoption on a platform, so that today we actually have 50-50 in terms of female and male split on, on our platform. However, we look at some surveys, for example, I mean globally, only 28% of women feel confident about making investment decisions. And this is a very uh, interesting stat because there's also another study looking at male versus female fund managers. And what they've found is that, I mean, female fund managers actually tend to outperform the male managers. A lot of times, maybe because, I mean, female actually tends to do uh, much more due diligence in terms of their investment and tends to be less uh, compulsive in making investment decisions. So, for example, when we did our uh, Statway Insights 2022 report, uh, we found that actually men in Hong Kong are 1.6 times more likely than women to log in within the first 30 days of making an investment. And the login frequency is related to kind of being much more impulsive and the need to have like much more frequent updates for men. These investors may tend to actually react more prematurely to short-term volatility, etc. So men are more prone to that, whereas, I mean, women are much more at peace with the idea of long-term investing. So Perhaps, I mean, that also explains why, I mean, the female fund managers actually tended to outperform the male counterparts. So, of course, there's still a lot of work for us to do in terms of promoting investing within the female community and also empowering more women to take control of their finances. Fascinating stuff. Thank you so much again for your insights. That's Stephanie Lung, CIO at Stashaway.